Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 22, which is generally recognized as a messianic psalm. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. Ye that fear Yahweh, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from them, but when they cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise Yahweh that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto Yahweh, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is Yahweh's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him, and it shall be accounted to Adonai for a generation. They shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he has done this. And what has he done? He has died on the cross for our sins and risen from the dead that we might have life. Let's sing of this wondrous love, number 250, wondrous love. Lord God, we thank you that you are omnipresent, that you are everywhere. And even in these days when we must worship virtually and we are in separate places, we trust that you will join us together in spirit that we may worship you whenever we may see or hear this service and wherever we may see or hear it. Be here among those of us who are uh, bringing the music and the word this morning. And uh, God, we will thank you in these circumstances because you are greater than all things and you can be glorified even in this. Amen. And so that's going to be just my opening announcement. We welcome everybody who is able to join us, either on the local cable channel or uh, on our website on the internet uh, this morning on this uh, Palm Sunday. And our, our next order of worship is we are going to pray uh, our prayer of confession together as a congregation as God's people. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws, and we have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, 
Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And I hope you all know this verse from John's first general letter to uh, Christians in chapter 1, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is fair not only to forgive our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise and a word from God to us. If we meant that prayer, we are forgiven and cleansed. And now we'll continue to worship the Lord by singing a, a couple of songs, focusing on what Jesus did on the cross. He may have been the only one entering Jerusalem on the first Sunday that really understood what was going to happen on Friday. Amen. And now we'll have the reading of God's word for this morning. The scripture reading this morning is Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. And now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father of Jesus, we confess our ignorance of you, even after many years of your Spirit teaching us from your word. Too often we are blind to clear facts that you show us because these truths would force us to let go of our pet theories that we have created to explain your world in terms that allow us to hold on to our wrong desires and thereby we excuse ourselves as we're disobeying your clear instruction as to how we should live to enjoy your blessings. Put another way, we are very much like the first century Jews who wanted political freedom from Rome more 
than they wanted a crucified Savior King to save them from their own sins. They failed to realize that until we are set free from ourselves, we will be slaves, even in a democracy. And we're like the new converts in Sardis more than a generation later who were in more danger of being conquered by their own sins of materialism and immorality than when they had been conquered by Cyrus and Antiochus from both the East and the West many centuries before then. So help us to always remember and accept that from Palm Sunday going forward, we all must first go through the death of Good Friday before we experience the life of Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. Father, we know we must always thank you in every circumstance. So we thank you even in the midst of this virus that is in this country and around the world. Because if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, you are shaking us awake so that we will know that we are not in control of our lives. Every breath we take is a gift from you. So we pray that we and many others will learn this vital truth that we will repent and we will turn to you in humble, dependent, childlike faith. And Father, we thank you for protecting people in our church. This week, I learned that eight of our employed members are all receiving paychecks, so we thank you for that blessing. And also, that our older members of this church are staying in touch with each other by phone calls. And also, we thank you that some tithes and offerings have been mailed to our church post office box by those unable to attend. Your blessings are just amazing, Lord, and and they humble us, and we give you thanks. And Father, we pray that it will be safe for us, all of us, to be able to go out and gather together in close proximity by early summer. But if we must wait another six months until fall, as some people are saying right now, please give us grace, strength, and patience to do this. And also, Father, the extreme and needless fear of the majority of Americans, it's not surprising because they don't know you in Jesus and they do not have the Holy Spirit right now. And this is very, very sad. Therefore, we pray that you will increase the number of your people through this virus, that it would be uh, an amazingly strange and beautiful benefit of this horrible thing. And Father, I pray for all who hear this service this morning, and especially your word expounded, whether it be on TV or the internet, that you will take the words which I say and that they would be your words so that we may all benefit as we draw closer to you for your glory.
And Father, it seems the longer we pray, the harder it is and, and almost the less sense it makes because we just are not you. So we thank you for a model prayer that Jesus left for his followers that says everything that needs to be said in our relationship with you and brings us closer to you. So with one heart and one voice, we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. And now before we go deep into the word of God to get our hearts ready for what God has to say for us this morning on Palm Sunday, the start of Holy Week, let's sing, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Amen. And um, figuratively speaking, you may be seated while we uh, dig deeper into the word of God. When I was growing up in the 1960s, I dare say that the vast majority of people in America knew just what happened on Palm Sunday and the seven days that followed. But today I have a, a concern. Um, because of my background, I went and checked out the demography and over 45% of Americans were born after 1983. Now, some of them know this story, but many do not. So for those who might not, of all ages, let me just give you a brief summary of what happened on Palm Sunday and the week that followed. So Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey, and there were people praising him and spreading palm branches before him and the donkey. And what they were anticipating, it turns out, was to be set free from Roman dominance, to get political freedom um, by this king that they believed God had sent right then and there to give them victory over their oppressors in the moment. And many people were recalling a prophecy from Zechariah, and you can look it up, it's much of chapter 9, I'll give you the highlights right now. God said through Zechariah, my people rejoice greatly, your king is coming to you endowed with salvation and riding or mounted on a donkey and his dominion will be to the ends of the earth they expected that to happen that week um, and Yahweh Sabaoth which means the Lord of the hosts of the army he will defend you Judah and Ephraim who had been divided 
They expected to be united in God, in his king, and, and, and no longer be God's divided people. And then it goes on to promise them you will devour and trample um, your enemies, and your God will save you on that day. So that was what many of them were calling to mind, many who had memorized scripture by the time they were 13 years old. Well, as is typical of people, they forgot what came later in Zechariah's prophecy. In what we call Zechariah 12, it says, they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn. And then the very first verse of the 13th chapter is the basis for the song we just sang. It says that on that day, in that day, a fountain will be opened for sin and for impurity. Now, it was left unspecified, and we might think a fountain is water, but it was actually the blood of the Savior. But again, they couldn't see that given their predispositions in what they desired, which uh, tainted their interpretation of God's word. And, and that's a problem that we all have. And it was only after the terrible shock of the death of Jesus on Good Friday, um, the death on the cross, Jesus the Savior on a Roman cross was crucified. Um, and it's funny because those who rejoiced on Palm Sunday cooperated in his death five days later. And in fact, they shouted out, give us Barabbas, crucify this Jesus. Well, after he really died and they saw what had happened, it stunned them and they experienced depths of mourning they could have never imagined fulfilling the rest of Zechariah 9. And it was only after the good news of his resurrection on the eighth day of this week, the first day of the new week, Holy Week, after they heard about it and experienced the seeing of him and being in his presence his disciples then had their mourning turned into joy. And we remember that next week. But today, today we must consider ourselves, even as Christians and quote-unquote good church people, we are really no better than these Jews back in Jesus' day. And so we will be spending some time in a letter that the glorified Jesus gave to the last surviving apostle named John for his church in Western Asia Minor, which was just to the east of northern Greece. Jesus did this some six decades, 60 years after the birth of his church. And it turns out that his people are now living their way, not God's way. And Jesus has strong words for his people who had forgotten the gospel, the good news of what he did, and they were asleep in his kingdom. 
But again, let us not make the error of saying that was them and we're better. These words are every bit as much for us as for them. So let's open our hearts and minds to God. So again, we're in the last book of Scripture, the last book of the New Testament. And as Jesus is speaking to this particular church, the first thing he tells his people is, I know of your good reputation, but you've fallen asleep. And you are not obeying God. So wake up and repent. So he says, through the Holy Spirit, that sevenfold spirit, I know your name for being alive and for doing good works, but to put it bluntly, you're dead. So Jesus has a message for the leader of the church in Sardis. Now, this leader of the church, it's, it's best translated into English as messenger. It's angel in Greek, and it means someone who brings a message. And most likely, this was for the lead elder or the pastor preacher of this church who would bring the message from God's word week after week after week. And I've done some researching and commentaries uh, and online about Sardis. It was located in what today is western Turkey. It had been conquered in 549 B.C. by Cyrus, who's mentioned by name in Scripture. And then in 218 B.C., it was conquered again by Antiochus the Great. Now, you may know the name of his son, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the one who desecrated the temple in Jerusalem during the days of the Maccabees. Now, um, these Western ones, the Antiochus, they were from Macedonia. They were from northern Greece, and they just swept eastward, and Sardis was one of the places they conquered. In both of these conquerings, as well as many <clears throat> others, excuse me, the citizens of this city may have been too wrapped up in their commerce and in their pleasure to be on guard against the foreign attack. Uh, the more I read about it, this was an amazing city. They were advanced in all industrial arts and in manufacturing. They had also perfected a way of refining both gold and silver to make them very pure and are also credited with being the first to invent and manufacture coins for trading and buying and selling in the marketplace. And then also, and I've seen some representations online, they had a humongous temple, maybe the biggest temple built to Artemis, the Greek goddess of fertility in the whole world of the first century and the early church, which means there was probably also immorality that they were practicing. This is the location of this church, the, the surrounding culture of this church. And so Jesus goes on to say, the one having the seven spirits, meaning the Holy Spirit, 
he says, Jesus himself, I know your works and your name, which is like a reputation for being alive. And then he closes this first sentence with these chilling words, but you are dead. You're dead. And so what does he say? He gives them two quick commands. Be waking up and remember what you have heard and that of which you have taken hold, and so therefore you must repent. So he starts off saying, be always waking up and alert. Again, Sardis's secular history, as I told you, was one of being conquered again and again and again um, by enemies because they were only focused on what they were doing. Jesus says, now that you are my people, you need to be awake. You need to be alert. You need to be alert of the danger of compromising of this faithful relationship that we have one with another, your relationship to me, by making your commerce and your wealth your main focus. Don't do it. He says, strengthen those things that are remaining, which are about to die and have been on the verge of death for a long time now. So putting it all together, they must wake up and put Jesus first in their lives. It's easier said than done, I know, from personal experience. But if they allow their hearts to be weighed down by the cares of this life, then the day of judgment may suddenly trap them. So they must be always alert and praying. This comes from Luke's gospel. They must not let sin conquer the church of Jesus Christ. But it's not just them. Let us wake up. Wake up so that we will not die. And then he goes on to say, because I have not found your works being complete before the face of my God. Jesus is accusing them of being Christ followers in name only. Now we have this modern acronym, and to put it into our modern acronym, they were Kinos, Christians in name only. So they needed to ask, but more importantly, we ourselves need to ask this question. Are our good works and deeds being done from a motive of love to God and for God, and not merely for our own selfish gain so people will praise us? Paul wrote to the churches in Corinth, and I'm sure you've all heard this before if you've ever been in church, He said, if I am prophesying with all knowledge, and if I have faith to see miracles happen right before my eyes, if I give fully of all of my possessions to the poor and even lay my life down, 
but I don't do this from love. If I don't have love, I gain nothing. In fact, I lose everything. It's all about love. So all of our works of faith must be built on a humble, dependent faith because we love God for all that he has graciously given us in his great, amazing, life-changing love, personified in the Savior King, Jesus Christ, who died on Good Friday and rose on Easter. So he says, therefore, remember that of which you have taken hold and which you have heard. So here's the gospel. Here's the good news. They had already received the Savior by the Holy Spirit who was given when they took hold of that gospel truth in the first place. And here it is, the truth. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. So, may we all understand and embrace the cross on which Jesus died five days later. We must die to our sins first in order to share in his resurrection life. Don't get this backwards. We don't have life until we're dead to our sins. And he rose on the eighth day, counting Palm Sunday. And then he closed this first admonition, this warning with these two commands. Guard and repent. In other words, guard this gospel. Don't let go of it. And repent. And why must they repent? So they can grow in Christ's likeness. God works all things together so his children will be conformed to the likeness of his son. And those who have been and were earthly now belong to Christ by faith and they will also bear his likeness. And then having the hope of the gospel, people are being transformed into his likeness by the Holy Spirit of God. That comes from Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And we will soon see in the second half of this communication from Jesus, repentance such as is called for here leads to a fourfold promise from the Lord. So Jesus concludes this warning by saying, if therefore you will not keep watch... I will come like a thief. And there's no way at all you're even going to be able to anticipate the hour when I will come and I will come upon you. This is the surprise judgment. Jesus had said, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, his coming will be like a thief in the night. Will we be awake? Let us wake up and let us repent so we won't die in the judgment. But then secondly, after all of these strong words and this stern warning, Jesus has promises to a persevering remnant. He says, you are few. You have a few of you who are unsoiled. 
They will walk with me. They will surely stay in the book of life, and I will confess them to my Father. And above all, hear, hear. So he starts off by saying those who are not soiled by their surroundings, they will walk with me. And I had to do, I'll explain it in a minute, but I had to do some references. They are worthy. I mean, you know, what's one of the things scripture teaches us? I am not worthy, O Lord. What, what an amazing promise from Jesus. He says you have a few people who have not soiled your garments. That means by grace and by the faith of Jesus, this remnant is living in purity. They have not compromised. That's the majority in the church had. And here's the first promise. They will walk with me in white because they are worthy. So put positively, Jesus said that all who take up their cross to follow him daily in dying to their sins are considered worthy of him. That's from Matthew chapter 10. And then Paul went on to say to Christians in Thessalonica, um, between the resurrection and the time that John heard these words, those who have perseverance and faith, even in persecutions and afflictions, they are worthy of the kingdom of God. So scripture is telling us we can be worthy, and here are the conditions. So let us wake up and repent so we don't die, but we live. And then he says, each one, each individual who overcomes in this way, by persevering through persecutions and afflictions, these ones will be cleansed, their name will not be erased or blotted out of the book of life, and he will confess them before his Father God. So he says, pretty much literally, he who is overcoming in this way will be clothed in garments of white. Imagine that, full sanctification. It's something we can work towards by the grace of God. All who stay unspoiled, and it was true in Sardis, and it's true here, by materialism, greed, immorality, and so much more, have a second promise from Jesus. At his coming, they will be fully clothed in white. Sanctification by grace, by faith, will be completed. So uh, I forget which commentary, actually I do know which one, but I can't remember the exact title. I love the way the author put this. Rather than running with the pack, may we walk with Jesus. Walk with him. And then he says, I will in no way, he puts a double negative, um, which is a positive, both in math and Bible uh, logic in no way erase his name from the book of life. And what is life? I'll just give you a summary from John. I preached a sermon on this many years ago, and you've all heard me say this. Um, this is an amazing, amazing promise. In John's gospel, the life that Jesus gives is called eternal. 
chapter 3. Many of us know that verse. In chapter 10, it is a full, abundant, and rich life spiritually and in every way. And in chapter 15, it has purpose and meaning that we are to bear fruit for God to his glory, fruit that will remain. That is the life that Jesus brings. And if we persevere by faith, no matter what happens, even in times like this, if we persevere by faith, this is the life that God has promised us. This is the third promise. So let us wake up and repent so rather than die, we have his life in us. And then he says, I will confess the name of this one before the face of my father and all his angels, all his messengers that he disperses throughout the earth. So this fourth promise is this. Jesus is restating a promise he gave on earth. He said, whoever therefore shall confess me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven, Matthew 10. This is powerful, people. Let's put this together with verse 2, where he's chastising them, where he's calling them out for their sins and their forgetfulness and their unfaithfulness. Jesus is now implying very strongly that those who live pure lives by faith in God's Son, in him, he becomes their father. To stand before God, the judge, in our own strength is terrifying. But in Christ, as his faithful children, we can stand before him, and he's our father, and we are his children. This is awesome. So let us wake up and repent so that we won't die. And then he closes, how he closes many of these letters in Revelation to the seven churches. If you have ears, hear. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this is the Holy Spirit. And this is a bit of church history that we don't often think about. But today, we have much more Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. Scripture meaning that which is written out. And in this case, from God's own mouth. We have much more than what they had. In the first century, the New Testament had not been gathered together and put down in writing. It was orally transmitted we now have the Holy Spirit-inspired gospel and New Testament that these people did not have. And when Scripture says here, it doesn't just mean you've got ears to process the words in your brain. Hearing in Scripture means we listen to God in all humility, and then by faith in his Son we obey all that he has commanded. Now, I wasn't a very good basketball player, but I was on the team, and I used to be in the huddle. And when the coach gathered the team together and he said, listen up, he wasn't just saying listen. He says, I'm giving you a play to run, and you better do it. 
So when God says, listen up, he says, here's how you can be blessed. If you will do this, you will be blessed. That's what it means to hear. So let's receive the faith from God in Jesus to obey so that our works will be complete, not incomplete as these people were chastised for, but in the eyes of God, our Father, they'll be complete. And may our motivation be the amazing love that God has showed for us when Jesus died on the cross. So looking forward this holy week, in his humanity, if we remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed to avoid the cross, But then he prayed the prayer. Uh, If you don't know what to pray, there's one prayer that will always be answered affirmatively. Just say to God, thy will be done. Because he will always do his will. And that's what Jesus prayed in the garden. Thy will be done. And as a result of what Jesus did, Jesus the Savior what he accomplished on the cross. Because of this, we may be in the remnant that will remain unspoiled by the world. We will not be compromising with the world, but we will live pleasing to God, and we will receive these four promises that we have just heard in the second half of this passage. So let's wrap it up this morning. This is our message in Palm Sunday of 2020. The leader of the church in Sardis is commanded by Jesus to wake up the complacent people who are living on their name, on their reputation, but are not fulfilling their purpose in the gospel of which they had taken hold. And he says, if you do not keep this gospel and repent, you're in danger of death in a surprise judgment that will trap you when you least expect it. However, for those who persevere in faith, regardless of the circumstances, even the circumstances the world is now under with this virus that's scaring people, If we will do that, there are four promises, four promises that God gives to these few who will not soil themselves but will have strong faith. What are these promises? They will walk worthy of Jesus Christ. They will be clothed in white garments of purity. They will not be erased from the book of life. They will have life to the full and with meaning and purpose as God designed it forever. And fourthly, Jesus will confess them to his Father who will be their Father. And then he just gives us this last word here. Hear my word so that you follow it, so that all these blessings will be upon you. So let us wake up and repent so we will not die but have God's life in Christ. And I think our last song this morning is so appropriate. It's always, always appropriate, but maybe more so now than ever, But not only in light of this scripture that we've heard, but the times we are living through it all. And for our benediction today, 
I'm going to read to you what Jesus said in the upper room about the third and most glorious aspect of life in him. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And here it is. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And then whatever you ask my Father, of the Father, our Father, in my name, he may give to you. That's our purpose that we bear good fruit to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Amen.